Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, so we saw in verse 14 that God the Father gave dominion and glory and a kingdom to Christ forever and ever. And uh, this last verse kind of ties it all together. Look at Revelation 11. And I think this will sort of seal the idea when you see this. And we'll read verses... So last time we read verse 15, but uh, verse, verses 15 through 17 are, are extremely important in, in the context of all of this. Uh, so verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All right, so that's, that's going to take us right to, you know, Daniel seven fourteen, when the Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man uh, glory, dominion, and a kingdom. All right, so when that kingdom is, is stripped... From the principalities and powers, the ancient of days took it. And then there's this announcement in heaven, the kingdoms, the kingdoms are become the kingdoms of of our God and his Christ. All right, so that the kingdoms up until then did not belong to God or to Christ. Right? I mean, is that a fair assumption to make based on? Revelation 11, they suddenly became theirs. At, at, at that point, they're, they're, they're given over to the Father. The Father gives them to the Son. Now, verse 16. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats uh, fell upon their faces and worshipped God. Now, here, here's a very important idea in verse 17. Saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art... And wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, 
and has reigned. Now that's going to take us all the way back to Matthew 28. What did it say in Matthew 28? All power is given to Jesus Christ. Right? So since Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus Christ, all power was given to him. But he's not doing anything with that power yet. He goes and he sits to the right hand of the Father, and he sits there and he waits patiently until his enemies are made his footstool. Then then he will take the glory, the dominion, the kingdoms, and he'll come and set up his own kingdom. But the significance of that last phrase, because thou hast taken to thee. He's He's had the opportunity. It was given to him at his resurrection. But he has not yet exercised that power. Now he's ready to go. Now is the time. Not yet. All right, so all power is given to Christ. If he wanted to exercise that power, he could absolutely do it. That's what people get bent out of shape when I talk about the knowledge of God. You know, there are some things that God doesn't know. And they say, you know, God knows everything. Are you saved? Yeah, he doesn't know your sin. Are you going to force God to know your sin? Do you really want God to know that? (laughs) He says, I have forgotten your sin as far as the east is from the west. I have no idea what you did. It's washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you want it to stay that way or not? (laughs) So it's not, you you have to look at it biblically. God can know whatever he wants when he wants to know it. But like we talked about earlier, in order to accomplish eternal salvation, in order to give us space to be saved and not be judged the moment we do something wrong, God steps back. He chooses not to know some things. He chooses to allow some things to work out so that spirit-filled people can go around and preach the gospel and try to win souls to Christ and do everything we can before the rapture to bring as many people into into the kingdom of God as possible. Well, God could take up this power any to any moment he wanted. He has it. It was delivered to Christ. So he, the, the, the moment he, wanted to, he wants to take up that power, he, he, he could do it if he wanted to. But there's a plan. And so that plan, if they're going to abide by the plan, limits his ability to take up that power. And people say, oh, God can do all things. God can do anything he wants. Well, the Bible says God cannot lie. <laughs> So can he do anything he wants, or are there some limitations? There are some scriptural limitations, so be careful with your terminology and word it properly. If God wanted to take up this power, he could. But there is a plan in place, and he has to abide by that plan. Otherwise, he violates his word, and he's not going to do that. So, so for now, Satan is the god of this world. Satan has control. He has influence. He has power in this world. He said, it was delivered to me. It's mine. And I'll give it to whomsoever I will. We talked about before all all those musicians who who, who swear, I sold my soul to the devil to be where I am. Well, that's Satan saying, that's Satan telling these people, I can give you this power. I can give you the kingdoms of this world if you'll just worship me. Okay, I will give my soul in exchange for wealth and fame in this world. That's a dumb exchange. That's a shallow exchange. That's a very short-sighted exchange. 
But for now, Satan has that ability and has that power, and it's available to him. He can give it to whoever he wants, just like he told Christ. But when this time comes, when the Ancient of Days goes down into second heavens, second heaven and judges the principalities and powers, there's no discussion. Satan's not going to go up there and say, don't you know that it was given to me? <laughs> the Lord's going to shut his mouth, take that dominion, destroy the beast, and he's going to look at the rest of them and say, I'm going to leave you alive just, just for a little bit. I'm going, to, I'm going to finish you later. Then his son comes down and he says, here's your dominion. Here's your glory. Now go set up your kingdom. You earned it. You deserve it. Christ comes down. He puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives. That mountain splits. Uh, that, that, the Valley of Megiddo and all, all those battles and everything is going to take place. And, and Zechariah 14, we read that a week or so ago. And, you know, Israel is nigh unto dead. It's about over. Suddenly, Jesus Christ shows up and puts down their enemies, judges the nations, sets up his kingdom, and reigns for a thousand years in righteousness. And we ride along with him. I hope we get to go and see the Ancient of Days when he he hands over the glory and the honor and the the dominion and and tells him to go set up his kingdom. Because when he comes back, we're we're coming with him. And if if, if we have this right, then that means... We've already been judged in the judgment seat of Christ. We've been awarded or, or we're crying because we didn't do anything. <laughs> One of the two. And then the Lord says, all right, get on your horse. It's time to go. And we go in the clouds with the Lord to the second heaven, meet the ancient of days there. He gives him this glory, this dominion, this, and, and this kingdom. And then after that, we go down and we, and, and we, we well, I say we, but we ride along while the Lord <laughs> deals with his enemies. I don't know what part we'll have, but maybe we'll get to throw a spear or shoot an arrow or do something and act like he needed us. And um, the nations will be judged. A thousand years he'll reign. Then he'll put down Satan and, and, and everything, everyone with him. Finally, cast in the lake of fire for eternity. There's no coming back. It's done. And uh, he'll, he'll judge the lost They'll be cast into hell, new heaven, new earth, and we'll rule and reign with Christ for eternity. That's the, the order of events. All right, so this, this passage in 11, you know, Revelation eleven seventeen is is key to the Matthew 28 passage. They're praising God because he finally took up that power that was given to him. And, and now he's going to exercise it. All right. In verse 9, the throne of the Ancient of Days matches Ezekiel. We, we've talked about that. Um, and then verse 10, the thousands, thousands minister to the Lord, but ten thousands times ten thousands are judged by the Lord. And we, we mentioned before how there's always a larger crowd being judged than there, there are people who trust, in Jesus, who, who, who trust the Lord and follow Him who are not being judged by, who minister to Him. Uh, that. It's always a lopsided crowd. That's why we, our pastor always jokes, you know, if you want to be like, um, what was his name? Billy, um, Billy Graham. You want to be like Billy Graham and preach to hundreds of thousands of people? Well, we go to college football games and we go to NASCAR races where 100,000 people will show up and we stand on the sidewalk and preach to them. <laughs> they all came just to hear us preach. <laughs> um, 
Now they yell at us and cuss at us, but they got to hear us preach is, is, is you know, probably the highlight of their day is they got to hear us preach. Um, you know, it just, you don't see that anymore. Billy Graham might be the last man who was able to, to have a large crowd come and hear him preach the gospel, preach the truth. There are a few men that do it and, and they can get a decent crowd to come, but there's no King James Bible. There's no, even Billy Graham by the end of his life had, had so defected from the truth, it was, it was worthless. It was fake. His, his crusades, he had Roman Catholic priests down there. He had Protestant priests down there. He had all sorts of people wait, waiting to receive people who were walking the aisle to get saved. Why do you have a Roman Catholic priest standing down there waiting to receive someone that, that you're trying to help trust in Jesus Christ? What's he going to do? He said at one point something to the effect that he, at the end of his life, he believed all, all religions led to heaven. Big mistake. Now, when he started out, he was preaching the gospel on the streets in trailer parks in Florida. He started out as a street preacher preaching the gospel. And then, and then for years into his early career, he preached the gospel as clear as anybody you will ever hear. And God opened unbelievable doors to that man and had him preach all over the world to thousands upon thousands of people. And then at some point, there comes the trade-off. Well, do I want to keep these big crowds? Do I want bigger crowds? Well, these people will help me do that. You know, if we were just a little bit more ecumenical and a little less hard, I could bring in more people. And so he did it and shamed himself, turned into, turned into a, a, you know, it, it just an apostate preacher is basically what he turned into. So um, if you're going to compromise, and like, 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 you know, like we talked about before with, with the Jews and trying to rebuild the temple and, and their adversaries come in and say, you know, we, we want to rebuild with you. And they say, you have no lot in this. You have nothing to do with this. I can't join your political party. I can't join together with Catholics and fight against some, some common political issue. We, we are Bible-believing Christians, and that's it. And, and, and if I have to compromise on that in order to, to develop a friendship with you, I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to fight you. I don't want you to be my enemy, but I'm not doing that. I'm not compromising. As best I know how, I'm going to stick to the truth of this book. And that's it. If you want to come over here, I can help you do that. But we're not going to go meet in the middle, which means I got to throw out a certain amount of the truth in this book in order to get to the middle with you. And, and that's not the type of compromise that we should be okay with or willing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we still have that from the book, the order of this judgment, mm-hmm. I was wondering where First um, Corinthians chapter 6 um, from verse 1 to verse 3. Actually, in verse 3, the literary says, Do ye not know that the same, uh, actually, uh, verse 3 says, That we shall judge the angels? Yeah, we shall judge the angels. Right. Um, as far as when we will do that or how that will happen, I, I don't have an answer for you right now. All right, so back to Daniel chapter 7. Verse 
Daniel 7 and verse... Let's pick up in... Wait. Verse 14. Let's read verse 14 again, and then we'll look at a few things here that we have not looked at yet. All right, verse 14. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdom and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Look at, so regarding this dominion, look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verses 6 through 8. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So the Lord's going to fulfill that promise. And of course, we read Matthew 28, 18, all power delivered unto the Son. Look at John 3, verse 35. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So, um, back to verse 35, the Father loveth the Son and hath, give, hath given all things into his hand. And, and so that, that what the Lord ends up receiving becomes part of his inheritance, which in turn becomes our inheritance. Which is amazing. For what? <laughs> Why do we have the same inheritance that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has? Because we trusted Him. For no other reason. <laughs> That's it. All this is for me, and, and why, why am I getting this? Well, didn't you trust in my Son? Yeah, well, I promised if you trusted my Son, you would, you would receive all of this. So, praise the Lord. God is good to us. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 27, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is he is he has accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Uh, at some point, the Lord's going to take. Everything that's been given to him, including us, and turn it all back over to the Father. And so we will be part of all that as well. Ephesians 1, and Ephesians 1 repeats the, the all things. Ephesians 1 and verse 22 repeats that idea. And I put all things under his feet and, and, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And that's the connection. We're part of his body. And you become part of his body by trusting in Jesus Christ. You trust in Jesus Christ. You're baptized by the Spirit. You're made part of the body of Christ. And so now what, what is given to Christ, to his body, belongs to us or is given to us in, in large measure. 
Now the idea of everlasting dominion. Look at Psalm 145. Everlasting dominion. Given to Jesus Christ. Psalm 145, verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. All generations. Um, Look at Luke 1. Similar idea to Luke 1 is in Micah 4 7. It says his kingdom will be forever. But Luke 1 and verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. A reference to prophecy. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot, which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, who's receiving the kingdom there? We are. How long? Forever. But Why? <laughs> we belong to Jesus Christ. No other reason. There's literally no other reason whatsoever. And of course, we've read Daniel 2.44 multiple times. It shall stand forever. Um, Look at Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. Are you sure this is going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> Not only is it going to happen, it's going to happen zealously. God said, I'm, I'm so excited about it. I have so much zeal. Yeah, it, it'll be done. There'll be no, there's no mistaking it. Uh, and then back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, look at Revelation 9, excuse me, Revelation 5. Um, this, this also relates to the Lord being made lower than the angels and uh, being subject to in, in this strange way for a short measure of time or for a measure of time and for a reason. Look at Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Now listen. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Look at verse 12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Why? Why was he slain? To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, under the earth. God says, I don't care where you are. You're bowing to him. (laughs) You're subject to him. 
And such as are in the sea and all that are that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. All right, so when we, when we, when we try... We try to reason out. I mean, why would God do that? Why would he be lower than the angels? Why would he, why would he have this power but not exercise his power? Why, why could he know all things but choose not to know some things? How does, he, how does he have so much ability but then limits himself? He's trying to accomplish something. In order to accomplish something, you've got to put parameters in place. There has to be a plan in place, and you have to follow the plan. If you don't, if you cheat, you go outside the plan, then you violate your own word. And that, that's a, you know, you and I, we can say, well, I thought I would do it this way. But looking at it now, I should do it this way. Well, we didn't know what we were doing from the start. <laughs> well, God knew exactly. And these are key words in the Bible. Known unto me are my works. I said, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I may not know what choices you're going to make and what you're going to do and which direction you're going to go. Uh, I, I might not know what this kingdom or that kingdom is going to do on a day-to-day basis. But when it comes to what I have planned and what I'm going to do, I know exactly what is, what's going to happen. And nothing's going to alter it. God's not going to run into something that, that, that just suddenly showed up and say, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, he may not have known. He, t- he said of Israel... You threw your children in the fire. It never came into my mind that you would do that. But it didn't change anything. It didn't cause God to say, man, I've got to rework my whole plan. I don't know what I'm going to do here. My works, what I have decided is going to be accomplished, it will be done. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. What you're going to do on a daily basis that remains to be seen. Your sin, if you're washing the blood of the Christ, I don't know about it. Forgot all about it. You did what? Well, I don't remember that. I forgot that you did that. It's, it's as far from my memory as the east is from the west. Well, how far is that? That's far. It's, it's, it can't be remembered. That's how far. All right, so, so the, these are not insignificant details but they become confusing when we try to force attributes upon God that would require him to violate his own word if he, if he acted in that way. All right, so it's, it's not weakening God or limiting God. It's God saying, I have to structure eternal redemption and the accomplishment of it and the restoration of Israel in a certain way in order to make sure I don't violate who I am or, or, or the, the characteristics that are known of me, like judgment, justice, you know, uh, um, uh, you, you know what they are. You know the thing. I feel like, I feel like Joe Biden all of a sudden. <laughs> you know the thing. <laughs> Just all went out of my mind. Is that what he feels like on a hourly basis <laughs> anyway so but you know what I'm talking about so his, his the, the, the realities of who God are in order if he violates that he sins against himself he can't do that but in order to, to work with us and deal with us and get us where we need to be that means certain things have to be done a certain way in order for it all to be done properly just righteous holy all that has to be in place and you know, we, we're, we're 
independent Baptists. So we love the judgment of God, the, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, and, and we like hellfire preaching, but God is also love, and he is gracious, and he is merciful. And you can't leave that out because you have to have those in order to have the God of the Bible. If you pick one or the other, which people tend to do, they see that God is all love. He just, he loves everything you do, and, and he's never angry. He just thinks you're wonderful. Well, that's a lie. But then you have the, the other ditch, which is God hates you. God's going to cast you into hell. You, you're so depraved, you can't be saved. Well, that's not true. And so you, you've got to let the Bible tell you who God is, even if it goes against what you think you know about God. The Bible's right. You're wrong. Sometimes that's hard because we have these preconceived notions about God. And even worse, we have these Baptist notions about God. And if we don't have the right Baptist notions, then the Baptists are going to be upset with us. (laughs) Well, then you'll be with me (laughs) alone (laughs) outside the camp. Uh, Now, I don't want to be there. And I I have lots of friends who are okay with my ideas and and, and my Bible teaching and all of that. They may not agree with it, but we're we're good friends. There are lots of Baptists who who can agree to disagree or who can see things differently, and they're fine with that. That's a good thing. It's the way it should be. Everybody doesn't doesn't have to fit in everybody's little box. But what what I want to encourage you to do is you can't just take someone's word for it. You need to let them demonstrate it to you from the Bible. And if they can't demonstrate it from the Bible, you can respectfully just thank you for that. Yeah. See ya. And then when they leave, just say, I don't believe a word of what he said. <laughs> you don't have to fight with them face to face. Why would you do that? What, what's the point of fighting with your brethren? One day, the two of you are going to be sitting side by side, though you completely disagree on the gap theory or, or the, 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 the revived Roman Empire, whatever it is. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you'll be sitting next to that person before the throne of the Lamb in heaven. And we're not going to be sitting there saying, Lord, did you know this guy didn't believe in the gap theory? Can we throw him out? No, that's not going to be on anybody's mind. Because if you try and point out something that you think he had wrong, the Lord's going to say, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Here's this list of things that you had wrong that I want to talk about. You're not going to be doing that. You're going to be worshiping Jesus Christ who helped us escape hell. You're not going to be standing on nothing saying, where'd that rock go I was hiding behind? And oh, there's a great white throne. That's not for us. Right? So you need to figure out what you believe and you need to pin these things down, but you better be able to open the Bible and demonstrate it. And just throwing out Baptist catchphrases is not going to work. That's why nobody wants to come to Baptist churches anymore. They're looking for something real. They're looking for something authentic. And all they get is catchphrases and and do your 18 lessons. And now you get to be part of the church. Well, Okay. I mean, great. (laughs) But, But I still have questions. And I still don't understand. And I still want to know. And I want to dig deeper. And I keep asking you questions. And you don't have any answers. I can't tell you how many people I've met who said, I I grew up in church and I don't go anymore because I would ask my Sunday school teacher or my pastor questions and they could never answer them. Now, you're never going to have the answers to everyone's questions, but you should be able to answer quite a few of them. 
You should have an answer for the hope that is within you. And it should come from this book, not let me find, you know, A.W. Pink's book and tell you what he said in there. Let me go. Let me go get this recording from Adrian Rogers. He said something about that. No, you should be able to turn to it in the Bible and say, this is why I believe this way. Here, here, here's my evidence. And if you would do that, it, 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 it excites people. They, they, they start falling in love with the word of God and they start saying, well, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know you could actually find answers like that in the Bible. I didn't know you could do cross references like that and that there's truth over here and truth over there. And then you put it all together and you have this beautiful snapshot of what actually happened in the Bible. And, and not just a trail of blood book that, that, that goes throughout history and steals every group of people in history that they think they would agree with. But if they really knew what those people believed, they would have absolutely nothing to do with those people. It it makes no sense. You've got to be able to answer people. You've got to be able to open your Bible and demonstrate to people what you think you believe. That's where the authenticity comes in. When you have a life that, that demonstrates you're trying to live biblically, and then someone comes to you and says, can you show me where this is? And you can open the Bible and show them four or five, six places where the Bible says about that subject, that topic, that question. Man, you just, you light that person on fire. Like, man, I, I want to be able to do that. But when you just throw out some Baptist catchphrase or some Baptist slogan so you can be sure you're part of the good old boys, you, you, you're, you're another blind leader leading the blind. And both of you are going to end up in a ditch. And, and your movement, whatever it is you're trying to produce, is going to go nowhere. That needs to stop. Everywhere. People who claim to be independent Baptists, the, the point of that is, to, is the claim is that we believe the Bible. Well, then why can't you open it and show me what you believe? Why is it that every time I ask you a question, you have some slogan that you just throw out? Once saved, always saved. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> why don't you show me that in the Word of God? Can you? If you can't, then stop saying it. Start saying, this verse says that, <laughs> and then show me. And so it's imperative. Whatever you're going to believe about these things, that's fine. All right? the, the, I, I've had the opportunity to show you my ideas, and, and, and we're going to see some more as we go. And we've got to finish this tonight, so my rant needs to come to an end. But I, you're not required to believe what I believe. You are required by God to know what you believe and to be able to give an answer to people. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right. Now, verse 15 picks up the interpretation. Uh, Verses 15 to 28 are the interpretation of what took place or what the Lord said, uh, mostly in verses 1 through 12 or 1 through 13. or verses, actually 1 through 8, verses 9 through uh, what we just read, 9 through 14. Um, I don't know that they're given a ton of, it, it, most of this interpretation is about the beast. That, that's Daniel's interest. Um, like I said before, I wish Daniel would have asked more questions, so that could have been recorded here. Uh, but Daniel said, tell me about that, tell me about that fourth beast. That's really what I want to know about. And uh, so the rapture is coming, and then sometime after, these ten kings will be revealed. And uh, that's another 
key detail. This is another part of Christianity that is constantly under attack. The rapture. The rapture of the church. The tribulation. Who's that for? Who's going through it? Why are they going through it? Well, if you believe the Bible, which, I mean, it's, it's, the Bible never says outright the church will not go through the tribulation. Those were, and that's, people are oftentimes, that's what they're looking for. Show me where it says the church is not going through the tribulation. Well, show me where it says the church is going through the tribulation. Why is the, the burden of proof on me? <laughs> You're making the claim that the church is going through the tribulation. Well, show, me, show that to me. I can show you tons of evidence the church is not going through the tribulation. I can't show you some direct phrase that says, you know, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 17, the church is not going through the tribulation. <laughs> one, time, one night we were out on the streets in, in, in the land of Florida and this guy is telling us some, I don't remember what it was, some wild idea that he said was in the Bible. And we're like, well, where would you find that at? And he said, Romans 32. <laughs> yep, that's exactly where you'll find it. <laughs> you are exactly right. <laughs> that's, thank you for that. That's helpful. Uh, so so the, the, the rapture, everything that we're talking about here, all right, so you got, you got to remember you have your, your four original kingdoms. All right, this is even going back to Daniel 2, to, to, to chapter 2. So you got Babylon, Persia, Greece, and then Rome. All right, now we're in this period here. This, this period here extends into the church age uh, under Rome. All right, now Rome is long gone. Rome is useless. It's dead. Now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Right now, whether people like it or not, we don't know how much longer. America's head of the kingdom of heaven right now. Have been for since we kicked Britain out and won World War II, we, we dominate the world. I know, cheer. Hooray, yay. Nobody's excited. You will be if China takes over, or you'll wish, you, you'll wish we had. Yeah, it'd be a whole different story. Right now, that's we're the most violent and most powerful. Nobody can, can touch that country, and, and as long as it stays that way, they'll stay in charge of the kingdom of heaven. If China gets to the point that they can be more violent and more powerful, guess what's going to happen? They're going to take the kingdom of heaven. If Russia gets to where they're more violent, more powerful, guess what's going to happen? They're going to try and fail, just like they did in Ukraine. <laughs> uh, so that, that's, that's the order of things. All right, so we're in this church age. At a certain point, come up hither. Church will be raptured out, and then... This, this timeline, it's no longer, you know, the kingdom of heaven suffering violence, though, I mean, it'll still be violent. But remember here, it was very specific. Um, Babylon will, will, will be the, the world empire. Persia will take over. Greece will take over. And then eventually Rome came along. It was very specific what the Lord had to say up to here. But then when the church age took over, he said, well, I'm not worried about the politics right now. Whoever is the strongest, let them, let them take over. That's just the way it is. The Lord said it from the time of John the Baptist. That's significant because who came immediately after John the Baptist? Jesus Christ. Then he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and he did all that under the Roman Empire. All of it. 
not the Roman Catholic Church. It didn't exist. All right, so we can't conflate Rome and Roman Catholic. Those are two different beasts. <laughs> two different ungodly entities. All right, so all that happened under the Roman Empire. Christ dies, is buried, the church age begins, and we have this long period where the kingdom of heaven is just up for grabs. Who can take it? All right, Hitler thought he could take it, and then he found out he made a mistake. America entered the war, and Hitler and Japan went down. <laughs> Japan literally went down with an atomic bomb. <laughs> that place really got hit hard, but you, you, you should think about that before you go and bomb somebody's harbor. <laughs> you can't just show up and bomb something and think, well, America won't do anything. You know, the, the Japanese said, we woke a sleeping giant. We should have left that one alone. That's exactly what they said. And then America came into the war and wiped everybody out. France, France at one point told Colin, Colin, Colin Powell, he was a, an American general, he said, you and all your troops, get out. He said, should I take the dead ones also? The reason you have a country right now is because our men came in and saved you. Should I, should I dig them up and take them also? Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's, let's, maybe let's rethink this. So, you know, just, America and France are always back and forth because they're going in a different direction. We're going in a different direction and, and we don't, we're not always so compatible, but France isn't going to join Russia and they're not going to join China. And you got to have friends in this world or the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. If you say, well, we're no longer friends with America. Well, guess who's going to come, who's going to come knocking on your door. And it's not going to be, well, they don't want to be friends with America anymore. We'll just leave them alone. No, they're going to come knocking on the door. Guess what? <laughs> you're either going to get that alliance back or you're coming with us. And that's it. It's so complex and so difficult because there are powers in this world who demand you be subject to them or you help them. And it, it, there's no other option. You can't be neutral. Everybody said, well, I wish we just had world peace and we could all just hold hands and sing songs together. It's not going to happen. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. You better hope the one that's the most violent is the one who will leave you alone. Because if they're not, they're going to come to you and they're going to force themselves on you. And they're going to take what you have. And they're going to force you to live the way they want you to live and to do what they want you to do. And, and you'll have no other choice. The kingdom of heaven is a, is a violent, bloody place. And right now we've had a space of time where it's been fairly quiet. We had World War I, World War II. We had the, the, the war in Vietnam, the Korean War, all these big wars. And then, you, then, then we go back into the Middle East and everybody starts fighting in the Middle East again. And you fight, you know, the, the whole Kuwait situation and Iraq multiple times. And then Afghanistan for like 150 years, I guess everybody thought we were going to fight in Afghanistan. And then all of a sudden Joe Biden comes and solves the problem by giving them $85 billion worth of weapons and just leaving and leaving everybody that helped us to, to die. That's the kingdom of heaven. You don't want to be involved in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be focused on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is a confused, bloody place. All right? And so during this time, during the church age, it's just up for grabs. 
God didn't say it's going to be America, it'll be England, it'll be... He didn't say who was going to be in charge. He said, John the Baptist is here since that time until now. It's, it just suffers violence. They, they just... Rome came in and took Jerusalem, burned it to the ground. You know, just, just Muhammad goes into Egypt. Egypt used to be Coptic. There were no Arabs in Egypt. Muhammad went in and fixed that. They, they raped, they murdered... They were so violent that they took that part of the kingdom of heaven. Now Egypt is Arab. <laughs> You'd be hard-pressed to find a Coptic person in Egypt, which is what they used to be. It's, it's completely different now. So that, that's the kingdom of heaven. It's a violent, bloody place. If you don't have big guns, they're coming for you. Right now, you're in, you're in Africa. Africa is an unbelievably volatile place. War can break out. Anywhere in a moment's notice. You happen to have a president right now. Again, whether you like him or not, is that's up to you. But his enemies respect him. They're not coming in here. That little that man who, who won all those bush wars and, and, and used to sleep out in the bush and came in and took this country. How, how many attempts on this country have there been since he's been here? They're not going to do it. If there have been any, the few that there have been, he puts it down quickly. Same thing with Kagami in, in Rwanda. That man established order. Nobody's going in there. They're like, well, let's, you know, he's got lots of enemies. Lots of people hate that man. They won't go in there. No chance. That's the kingdom of heaven. Look at Congo. It's a total mess. They can't control any part of that country. They got one little city all the way on the other side of the country, and that's it. Like, what's happening on your, your eastern border? I don't know. <laughs> a bunch of guerrilla armies over there. I'm not going over there. But you're in charge. You're supposed to have control of that. I'm not violent enough. I'm not strong enough. If I go over there, they'll hurt me. So I'll call Kagami, and I'll call Museveni, and ask them to send their military on my eastern border and, and try to help me out. <laughs> Why? That's the kingdom of heaven. All right, so, so it's violent, it's bloody, they're, they're, they're fighting, it suffers violence. Then all of a sudden, the rapture takes place and 10 kings show up. Out of those 10 kings, the Antichrist. Then it starts to get very specific again. Or it says, politics are in the kingdom of heaven, not, not my concern. You're my concern. Go preach the gospel. Go teach the Bible. L live according to my word. Spread the gospel. Get the word of God out. Do everything you can to bring as many souls into the body of Christ as you possibly can before this time runs out. And we're at, we, as far as we know, we are at the tail end of that time. I, could be another thousand years, but I'd be very surprised. I'd be surprised if it's another hundred years. But we are coming to the, to the very end of the church age. It's now time with the Lord, the way he does the timing in the church age. I, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Who, who knows? So I, I can't tell you with any, any, any accuracy that it, won't, that it won't be another hundred years or another thousand years. I would be surprised if it was, but that doesn't mean it won't be. 
but you should live in the church age as though the Lord's coming back in the next five minutes because it's going to happen. And then if you thought the kingdom of heaven was violent and bloody now, you should read the book of Revelation. Then it, then it really, really goes crazy. All right, we'll get through the rest of these verses. We need to finish this tonight. Verse 17, let's, let's read it real quick. These great beasts, which are, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. So again, this, from Daniel's perspective, this is something that's going to happen and hasn't happened yet. Then that would, that would naturally exclude Nebuchadnezzar. Now, soon after this, we know that Persia takes Babylon and, and, um, and, and they move on from there. Uh, verse 18. Uh, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. In case you didn't understand what forever meant, even forever and ever. Uh, so they will arise. They will have dominion. But at some point, that dominion will be transferred to the saints of the Most High. So you, you, you've got these guys are going to take power, you know, and, and, and in the explanation here, you got to remember, there's a lot of things. It's like in Matthew 24. Uh, we, we've been talking about it in Sunday school. You know, the, the, the disciples asked the Lord, when is the temple going to be torn down and when are you going to come again? Well, between those two events is 2000 years in the same verse. Now, we, we just read about uh, the, the, the judgment of the Antichrist by the Ancient of Days and the principalities and powers and all of that. Well, that, that had nothing to do with what we just read or had little to do with what we just read in the verses before it. It takes place long after that, after we get this description of these four beasts. Right? So, so some of the information here, it doesn't fit in a neat timeline. You have to, you have to read it, get the context, and then place it in, in the context of the overall events that are going to take place. So at some point, the, the saints will receive the kingdom and David will be their king. Well, that's obviously going to be after the second coming. They don't, they don't receive the kingdom in the midst of all this fighting that's going on. Right now, in the tribulation, the Jews are on the run. You've got to hide. Back to Matthew 24, the Lord said, when, when the abomination of desolation is set up, run, hide, get away, flee, and, and don't be found. Try to endure to the end. Uh, I'll come back and get you, but you've got to make it to the end. Um, and so, so they don't suddenly receive the, the, the kingdom, but at some point it will be given to the Lord. The Lord will put David back on the throne. Israel will, will rule and reign over the nations. So, so it will be given to them at some point. Verse 19, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were, were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. All right, so he, he shifts the attention. He's not even worried about the saints getting the kingdom. Like the Lord's giving him this interpretation. He's like, yeah, 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 but what is that fourth beast? <laughs> that is what's on his mind. Tell me about this, this fourth beast. I wish he would have said, well, A, let's talk about the bear <laughs> or the lion. Then B, let's talk about the bear. C, let's talk about the leopard. Just go... Like Daniel, go step by step through this so we can get more information. And uh, he didn't do that. So, so we have what the Lord has given us here. Um, 
he set his attention on this fourth beast. The fourth beast was diverse from all the others, unlike anything before. This beast is inexplicable. And uh, as we said before, there was not even a beast the Lord could use to, uh, to, to describe him. And um, it talks about the residue of the people being stamped. And, of course, that's the Jews. They're, they're often called the residue of the people or they're called the remnant. And um, you can read that in Nehemiah 11.20. They're called the residue of Israel. In Isaiah 28.5, they're called the residue of his people. In Ezekiel 9.8, the residue of Israel. Haggai 2.2, the residue of the people. And Zechariah 14.2, the residue of the people. So this last beast will go after the residue of the people, this remnant of Israel. His goal is to make them disappear. Verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which, which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So he, he will rise up through this confederacy of ten kings. And um, other than the rapture, this, this confederation of ten kings might be the future event to look for. So if you were going to look for a sign... Some sort of confederacy of ten kings might be something to pay attention to. Now, that doesn't mean that it's, it's the ten that we're looking for, uh, but it'd be awfully interesting if there was some sort of confederation of ten kings, because that's where the Antichrist is going to come from. And uh, he had a mouth that spake very great things, and we talked about that before, that the, his ability to blaspheme God in remarkable ways. And uh, you can cross-reference that to Revelation 13.11. He looked like a lamb, but spake like a dragon. That's the Antichrist. And the world's going to give themselves over to this man. Whatever he wants, they will just give themselves to him. Because he's able to make sin look beautiful. But then he just rips your your face off with his his language, with with what he has to say. Verse 21. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints... And prevailed against them. All right, so we just went from them receiving the, the kingdom, <laughs> and now he's making war with the saints. So this is obviously not in chronological order, and so you, you, got, you got to place things in the order that they're supposed to be in, and that, this is exactly what the, the Antichrist is going to do. Now, the Lord said in Matthew 16, verses 16 through 20, that I will build my church, right? What else did he say about that? Well, here you have the Antichrist prevailing against the saints. So guess who this is not? The church. The church is gone. These are Old Testament saints. These are, these are, these are people who, who live and die in faith. They believe what God has told them. This is Hebrews 11 all over again. All right, there's no opportunity to trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ during the tribulation. That's not an option. If you trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you enter the body of Christ. The body of Christ is gone. <laughs> it's not available to you. All right, so, so these are people who, who did believe you know, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven will be preached at that time. And um, there will be the glorious gospel that's preached at that time. 
and uh, the law of Moses will be reinstituted at that time. So there'll be plenty of things for people to believe and to trust in God, but trusting in Jesus Christ for the, for the salvation of your soul is not an option. All right, so the, these saints are people who, who are in faith. They have believed what, what God has told them, and, and that's, that's the way it has worked throughout the centuries. Um, look at verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. The Ancient of Days comes, breaks the power of the Antichrist, gives judgment to the saints, and turns the kingdoms over to them. Now imagine that. I heard one preacher say it this way. When the Lord judges the nations, who would know better whether the nations help them or not than the Jews? <laughs> Did you imagine them sitting here? This nation walks up. Did they help you? They didn't help you? <laughs> Send them away. <laughs> so that's an interesting idea. But um, uh, this happens in stages over a period of time at the end of the tribulation and in conjunction with the coming of the Son of Man. The kingdom of heaven is promised to Abraham's seed, and Satan knows that. He repeatedly tries to destroy that seed and and to maintain his dominion. But, of course, at some point, the Ancient of Days is going to strip it from him. And then Jesus Christ is going to land on the earth, and he's going to put down, violently put down, his enemies. The Jews are going to be nigh under. They're going to be just about destroyed. I mean, you you read Zechariah uh, 12 through 14. Read those chapters when you get a chance. and, And you're reading about the battles that are going to take place and how the Jews are just about dead. They're just about gone. And then suddenly Jesus Christ shows up and, and, and saves the day. So, um, and then, of course, Matthew 24, 14 talks about the gospel of the kingdom being preached. The king, is, and this is the contents of the gospel of the kingdom. King Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom. He's coming. Don't take the mark. Jesus is coming. Now, if the abomination of desolation has been set up, you got three and a half years. Don't die and don't take the mark of the beast. <laughs> or, or get saved now and don't have to go through any of that. Wouldn't that be a better option? All right, well, not everybody's going to take it. They, they want to endure to the end. You have at it. And of course, the end is the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the tribulation. Verses 23 through 25. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise and another shall arise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he, shall, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. Now, of course, we talked about the, the, those time, the time, times, and dividing of times last time. Um, during this period, the Antichrist, he's not just going after, the, 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 the tribulation is not local to Israel. It's worldwide. 
Right? So everyone's going through this tribulation that, that exists on the earth at that time. It's not just a, um, a few things that happened to Israel. It's, man, it's a, it's a worldwide catastrophe. Um, but the time, times, and dividing of times, uh, we talked about Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. And then in Revelation eleven twenty three, they'll be tread underfoot 40 and two months. Daniel 9, 27, one week of years, three and a half years in, in, in the, and the covenant will be broken. And uh, the, that seven years, that one week of years is um, Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble. Seven years. And it's, it's all focused on Israel. Um, now, it seems that the seven years, now I, this is an idea that, that I have. I can't, I don't know if I can say this emphatically, but I think the seven years starts when the covenant is made between the Antichrist and Israel. Is that covenant, when he makes that covenant, it's seven years. So it makes sense that the seven-year period, known as the time of Jacob's trouble, might start as soon as they make that agreement. The time starts ticking. And so the seals start breaking, and, and, and you know, the, the, the trouble really begins at that point in time. All right, verses, let's read 26 through 28, and then we will be done. But the judgment shall sit... And they shall take away his dominion and consume, uh, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations uh, much troubled me. And my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. All right, so the saints of the Most High will, will be given that kingdom through Jesus Christ. The, the dominion, the kingdom, it all belongs to Jesus. He's going to give it to them, in part at least. Now, He's going to reign over it, but, um, but He's going to give it to them. Uh, Jesus has dominion, and Jesus gives dominion. David will be their king, and then... Um, uh, you know, one of the main differences you, need, differences you need to understand between the church and Israel, the church is promised spiritual blessings. We're not promised physical blessings. And, and we talked about this again Sunday in Sunday school with Matthew 24. You know, you, you might, as a member of the body of Christ, you might say, you know, but, but Lord, what about my health problems? And the Lord's in heaven like, what about them? Like that, I've made you no physical spirit, no physical promises about your health. Well, Lord, I want to be rich. Well, that's nice. <laughs> the Lord has made us no promises about prosperity, about physical prosperity. Our affections are set on things above. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have an inheritance in heaven. Everything that God has for us is after this life. His expectation is that we're going to deal with our lot in life here physically and then be blessed spiritually when we get to heaven. Uh, so and then and then, of course, all dominions will bow down to Christ. 
And then Daniel says, this is the end of the matter until the next chapter. (laughs) And then we're going to talk about it some more. And then the next chapter, and we're going to talk about it some more. And then the next chapter, and we're going to talk about it some more. And so so I don't know what he meant by the end of the matter, because they they all build on chapter 7. Chapter 7 is kind of the foundation work for the chapters to come. All right. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.